We're going to be in John 14, 5 through 7. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Okay, we're in in the fifth verse of chapter 14 of the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're in the 14th chapter. We are in the fifth verse of John. We talked about a lot of things about John. Today we're going to go down here and look at Thomas. And Thomas has a question. Does anybody know about Thomas? Anybody know what his nickname was? Doubting, Doubting Tom. Why? How did he get that nickname? Bum rap. From a bum rap. Somebody said it was a bum rap. That's what Christians do. That they give people bum raps. He was. Uh, he saw Jesus. And they didn't believe. That they told him about Jesus. Talk, forgive me. Jesus came into the room where some of the disciples were, and they were blessed. They worshipped him. They cried over him. God taught them some things, and he left. And then Thomas comes in, and everybody's all, you know, you could tell when things are going on, you know. And uh, he says, what happened? And they said, Jesus, we're here. I don't believe it. I'll have to thrust my hand into his side and see the scars on his hand. And Jesus came back, and that's what he saw. So Thomas was was a very unique person. He was not afraid. Listen to this. Thomas was not afraid to ask questions about God and about his life. See, rightfully so, we're taught to trust Jesus, but we're never taught to ask Jesus questions. Lord, why am I afraid? Lord, why am I being tempted? Do you ever ask him that? Lord, why am I under such adversity? And he knows the answers to them, and he knows why they happened. He knows why they happened the way they did. Now, why do I say this to you? Because if you're not talking to God through asking questions you will not grow and mature. You just won't. You will believe a religious philosophy about Jesus, that he is sovereign, he's in control, he knows everything, and he's in control of it and does everything that needs to be done for you. That's that's a philosophy. And what happens is people get discouraged. Because they don't understand why God's doing something or why God's not doing something. And so they begin to, enter, they begin to, in, um, to believe the philosophy of the world. And they begin to doubt and they begin not to believe. And then they begin not to worship. Then they leave church and spiritual relationships. Because the world's full of information. The world will answer any question 
And if you believe the world has answers to your question, you're in trouble because they don't. Well, then what do we do as Christians? We begin to ask God's questions. That's what, that's what Thomas does. Philip does too. We'll talk about him next week. If things aren't changing and if you're not growing, you're not asking the right question. I know that by working at the government. I asked the government a certain question five or six times. Nothing happened. And I said, well, then how should I ask this question? I asked God. He told me a different way to ask a question. And they said, oh, yeah, you do, 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 and was done. When you are ministering to people, people get discouraged when they minister to people. Because they've been taught a rote answer to every spiritual problem in the face of the earth. And when they answer it with that rote question like a doctor does to an illness and nothing happens, they say, well, God's not listening. And that's not true. You got to ask the right question. Because see, Thomas did right here. He asks the right question, and God answers the question. Thomas says, "Where I have no idea where you're going. I don't know where to go. He asks it in a question form. What's your question? How do I parent five children? How do I be a father to this son? What's your question? How do I overcome this particular temptation that bothers me deeply? How do I handle this fear, this stress that the job puts on me? What do I do, God? Let me tell you, you know what I'm talking about when you were a baby, four years old, three years old. How many times did you ask your parent for a cookie before they finally gave it to you? I have a daughter. I counted the number of times on one subject within less than five minutes. I counted 15 questions about the same subject. And there was a different answer for all those questions. I was exhausted She knew how to ask questions. The reason I say this to you because I want to share something. Human beings do not have the answer to their problems. Most authors do not have an answer to your problem. Why? Because that author doesn't know your circumstances nor the intricacies of what's going on inside of you. He has no idea. He's writing the book based on personal information. And I guarantee you 90 people that read that book, it's going to be different. And people will find themselves frustrated. That's why I tell people, do you hear God? I ask them, when you pray, do you hear him? 90% of the people that I talk to say, what do you mean? I don't hear God. 
I said, you need to work on your listening skills. My mother used to say to me, she said, you didn't do it right because you didn't listen to me. She was right. I only listened to half of what she said. Like, in 15 minutes, when you've done this, you can leave. Well, I didn't do much, and I left. Got it wrong. Now, this is an important question. The question is, how do you go where Jesus is going to go? How are you going to get there? All roads lead to Rome. No, it says there is a narrow, straight road that leads to heaven. That's where Jesus is going. Does that mean I must be perfect? No, it does not. You need to listen to the verse. It says a narrow, straight road. I must walk within that truth to know where Jesus is going. And how do I get there was what Thomas wanted to know. And then Jesus answers it. He said, you know, look at this in verse 6. You need to go to Bible school and learn the particular theology that your denomination or church teaches and know it so well that you can quote it back to anybody that comes up to you and asks you a question about what you believe, and then you will know exactly where I'm going. Isn't that what that says? Verse 6, it's right there. Jesus said it. Six and a half. What did he say? It is interesting. The structure of this answer is exactly the same structure that Moses heard from God when Moses asked God a question. He said to God, he said, Who will I say has sent me to the Israelites that were in bondage to Egypt? Who will I say sent me? Egypt had the largest, most powerful army in all of the world at that time. They could conquer whoever they came up against. And Jesus, I mean, then, then God says to Moses, go down and set him free and tell the Pharaoh to his face, set my people or let my people go. And he goes, well, well, well who should I tell him sent me? And what did God say? I am that I am. That's who you tell him. Told the Israelites that, told Moses that. He didn't say the living Yahweh. He said, I am that I am. The structure of the language right here is the same. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It takes direction and truth and life to get to where Jesus wants you to go. Right there. It's right there, right? Takes those three things. The application of those three things are, are, is what Thomas needed to find out. How do these three things apply to me? It does not say intellectual prowess. It does not say education. It does not say position. It does not say perfection. He says, I am. He talks about Jesus. If you want to find out where Jesus is going, you need to know who Jesus is. And when you know who Jesus is, guess what? You find out that he's the way, he's truth, and he's life. 
eternal life, eternal way, eternal truth, excuse me. If you really know me, now listen to this. He doesn't say you go down 5th Avenue and when you go on to 24th Street, turn left and then go down that way and hit that way and go that way. He doesn't say that. He says, if you know me, the word there is gnosko in the Greek and it means to know with understanding. There are I've, had, I've told my children to do things at time, and they'll say, okay, yeah, okay. And they go and do it, and they don't do exactly or even halfway what I told them. I was the same way with my parents. I remember she, my mom told me to go clean my room, and my understanding was to put everything under the bed and throw the covers up on my bed and then go play. When she found out what I did, I had to do it over. The application of truth, the application. So that's why it's important to ask God what, what, what the questions are. And then when he tells you the truth, then you say, okay, Lord, what does this mean? He goes on and explains it. He says, if you really, the word really, don't pass it up. Yeah, I'm Jesus. He saved my soul and I'm going to heaven. I'm just, no. What does it mean to really know Jesus? What's it mean to really know Jesus? And you know my father. So he's telling Thomas that there are two divine entities, Jesus and God, the Father, that he must gnosko, know with understanding. That's the Greek word. And what he says is the application of Jesus being the way, the truth, and life. Is what you need to ap- apply. And you need to know God. Now. Why is this so important? Why is this answer important? Because the, the Jewish people have been looking for what? For centuries. The Messiah. And when you know the Messiah, it says he will set you free. He's called Messiah slash deliverer. When you know him, he will set you free. And it said, he said... In the application of the way, the truth, and the life, I must know, Gnosko, with understanding, the divine enemy, entomy, entity, and his father, which is the Messiah. Now, when he, when he told him, it didn't hit him yet. It will hit him later. When will it hit him later? After the resurrection. We have two or three weeks until the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes to Thomas and he comes into Thomas and he speaks to the spirit of Thomas, which is then made alive because Christ rose from the dead. And then, then guess what? The Messiah is made known to Thomas. Do you know the Messiah? 
You can know the Messiah now. You know that, don't you? Many of you do know Messiah. Many of you think you know Messiah. I don't know what, what it, which it is with you. And he will set you free. And you will begin to follow him. Paul says that, he says, we are not a resident of this world. We're the resident of heaven. We have our citizenship in heaven. I won't tell you who it is, but somebody in this church says to me, all that I want to do in my life right now, very young person, all that I want to do is go to heaven and get out of here. Because God will take care of me there. But the world won't. That's pursuit of truth. And so that person's following God. Because that person gnosko's Christ in the Father. Now, I... We don't have enough time for me to talk about this, but let me just touch on it. I, before Jesus came into my life, you all understand I never knew a God. Did you, you know that, don't you? None of you, until you gave your life to Christ, ever knew a God. There's only one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinity is one. There's only one God, and I never knew him. There were many people that influenced me in many different spirits that told me that they were God, and one of them was success. Another one was victory. Victory can be a God. Just watch what's happening in a Super Bowl. That victory is their God. They'll do anything. They'll sacrifice anything to gain that victory. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying watch it. You need to see the worldly illustration of a spiritual truth. That quarterback last week from San Francisco had a bad leg, very bad leg, but he wanted to go to the Super Bowl, and he risked everything to get a first down. You you all didn't watch that, did you? But he sacrificed everything. To get to the Super Bowl. But that's not God. God is the power of the Father working in the human soul to conform him to the image of the Savior, which is the Messiah. And make us whole. If Jesus Christ lives inside of you, the Holy Spirit dwells there with him, and it's together, okay? If, if, you can't, if you can't change, you're asking the wrong questions because you don't understand the application of I am. If you're afraid all the time, it's because you're not applying the I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're relying upon your own strength, your own knowledge, your own ability. But when, when, when we walk in that truth that he is the living God, 
You change. You change. God protects you. God changes you. God loves you. God never leaves you alone. God gives you grace and mercy. He gives you power and authority. He gives you victory over the enemy. He frees you from temptation. He, he loves you everlastingly. He will never reject you. I'm not talking about what I do to him. I'm talking about what he does for me. Okay? We'll talk about the flesh later. Romans chapter 8. Now, he makes a profound statement to Thomas. He says, from now on. He says, now, when God says from now on, that means something's happened and you're not aware of it. 90% of the time. When I was born again and saved and Christ came and lived inside of me, I'd only went to church three weeks in a row. We have trouble with people here that don't go to church three weeks in a row. A lot of you do, but some of you don't. And some of you aren't here. So I'm talking to you. I'm talking to them. I went three weeks in a row, and on the third week, the Holy Spirit convicted me. I, I now have a theory, the Mike Dean theory, for what it's worth, is if you're not in church for three weeks in a row, then you're in a, it's a scarce way that God will touch you. But in, after three weeks, I, I gave my heart to the Lord, and, and I did not understand what happened to me. I felt different. I had a little bit different view of the world. And I knew God loved me. But everything that happened to me has happened to me since then. And I know where Jesus is going. And I know that he wants me with him. He doesn't say it here in this passage. But he says it in another place. He says, I want you to be with me. I want you to go with me. When you're younger, have you ever gotten lost? I did once. Didn't know where I was at. I was scared. I were doing things that were erratic to my parents. They didn't know what I was doing, but they, they were strict. And then I heard my mother's voice. And hope leapt into my heart and I followed her voice because she kept saying it and when I saw her I was overjoyed I found where she was and I went to where she was because I knew she wanted me with her there wherever it was Christians listen to the lie. Now, listen, this is careful. Listen to this. Christians listen to the lie that the world tells us multiple ways that God doesn't care where you're at or whether or not you find him. The world tells us that. 
Born-again Christians struggle with this. How do, they say, well, I pray and I pray and, and nothing seems to happen. You know what that means? That means they don't understand how God wants them to come to him. Multiple ways it occurs. Multiple ways. Those who have children here, and you gave them to uh, Mrs. Rogers, Amy, you gave her to a great person. She'll, she'll be concerned about them the whole time she has them. But aren't you hoping, now be honest, aren't you hoping your kids will come back? Or do you want to go home without them? <laughs> now, be <clears throat> Jesus says, I'm going to go and prepare your place. He wants us to come and be with him. And the way that we know how to get to him is to love him and know him. It's not a performance thing. Christianity is never performance. Christianity is relationship. And if I know Christ and pursue that love for Christ, that relationship with Christ, you will naturally know where he's at. And you will go with, with him. He'll meet you halfway. One of these days he's going to come down. He's going to be up in the clouds and he's going to yell for you. And he's going to say, Patrick! Patrick, go on there. He knows where you're at right now. He knows where you're not. He knows whether you're thinking about roast beef, Starbucks, or whatever it is. <laughs> I used to sit in church when I knew my mother was having roast beef, mashed potatoes, green beans. Whew, it was hard to hear what the pastor said. I needed to pursue God. From now on, he said to Matthew, from now on, from this moment on, because of your question that you ask me, you know him, meaning the Father, and have seen him. What does that mean? If you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. It's amazing. A lot of imagery in the Old Testament. Moses came to Egypt. He said, let my people go. And they wouldn't. And he asked and they wouldn't. Pharaoh's heart was hardened back and forth and back and forth. And finally, the plagues came. The first one didn't affect, second, third, fourth, didn't affect Pharaoh. It was as stubborn as a pine knot. And then God said, the death of the firstborn. How many people have ever thought of this? Jesus was God's firstborn. It says it in Romans 8, the end. The firstborn, the first fruit. That's what it says, firstborn, first fruit of the Father. He's the firstborn. And he let his son die to death. Death was the payment for the sin that the word of God says man has to pay. In order to die and go to heaven to be with him. 
And Jesus is God's firstborn. Anybody ever thought about that? It's interesting, isn't it? And the firstborn died. And all the sin that was in me died with him. Because he loved me. He was the way, death. So I got to die to flesh. Truth. Live in the word. Life. Live in the abundant life of Christ. Now that was the answer to Thomas. He, he slowly and surely came to the point where the spirit in the, the upper room came to him and resurrection happened and the spirit entered into him and he finally began to understand it. Do you know that's why these men were able to die? Somebody says we're in the last days. Maybe we'll have to die and we'll be persecuted. If you're in Christ, you don't care because you want to go home. Will you be afraid of it? Absolutely. Um, fear does not negate you going to heaven. You all know that, don't you? I just want to be sure I know him. I just want to know that I'm following him. I just want to know that his spirit dwells inside of me. I want that for you too. Don't listen to the lies that say you're no good. You sin too much in the back. Let me tell you what. I don't care how much sin you've sinned. I know people that sin more. And they gave their heart to the Lord. I know murderers have given their heart to the Lord. Child molesters who have given their heart to the Lord. Witches who have given their heart to the Lord. Doesn't matter what you've done. It does not matter. When Jesus, when you say, please forgive me, Father, in Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ sweeps across you and infiltrates every part of who you are, and He cleanses you and forgives you and gives you brand new life. I don't care how dirty you are. Once you met Jesus, you're clean. Are you glad? I'm glad. I could go on and on. Let's have, is he coming? You texted him? He did? What's he teaching about today? It'd be interesting to know what it been. <laughs> Let me pray for you. Father, I'm going to ask you to touch these wonderful people. These children of God. The child who was born of God's will. I just ask, Lord, that you touch him. Touch him, touch him. Let him walk in the way. 
Let them learn to ask the right question until you are able to speak to them. Teach them to become spiritual scholars, not academic scholars. I don't care if they're academic. They need to be spiritual scholars, learning from your spirit. Just bless them. Fill them with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's still stand. Got your capo on.